0: Hi, welcome to The Biffa Podcast, the show from the British Independent Film Awards that brings together two artists from the filmmaking community for a conversation about how film has shaped their lives. In this episode, writer and actor Joanna Scanlon sat down with fellow actor Natalie Richard, who she could be seen alongside in Aline Khan's After Love. At the Biffa ceremony, After Love won six different awards. Joanna herself won the prize for Best Actress... Talid Aras won for Best Supporting Actor, Aline Khan picked up prizes for Best Debut Director, Best Screenplay and Best Director, and the film itself was crowned Best Film as well. Now, if you haven't seen it, After Love is about Mary Hussain, that's Joanna, a woman who converted to Islam when she married and is now in her early 60s, living quietly with her husband Ahmed. Following his unexpected death, she suddenly finds herself a widow, a day after the burial, though, she discovers that Ahmed had a secret life just 21 miles away from their Dover home, across the Channel, in Calais. This shocking discovery compels her to go there to find out more, and as she grapples with her shattered sense of identity, her search for understanding has surprising consequences. Recognisable to audiences for her work on the small screen, in The Thick of It and Getting On, as well as on the big screen in Girl with a Pearl Earring, Bridget Jones's Baby, and the acclaimed 2018 British drama Pincushion, Joanna's work stretches across a broad range of styles and genres, with After Love offering up another totally unique addition to her CV. For this podcast, Joanna spoke with her After Love co-star Natalie Richard, whose channel-hopping career has seen her work with the likes of Michael Haneke on Code Unknown and Happy End, as well as with Andrew Garfield and Kira Knightley on Never Let Me Go. Together, they spoke about their relationships to acting, whether in the theatre or in the cinema, as well as just what makes their recent collaboration so special.
1: Hello. Hi, Natalie. Hi. Hey,
2: congratulations. Oh, thank you. Congratulations right back at you. Yes, yes. (laughs) I'm going to ask you, Natalie. So I I think the interesting thing about this is we're... I don't know how old you are, and I would never presume to ask, but I think we probably come from a similar time. And, of course, these life has changed so much for being able to go to cinemas, what was on television, films on television, and then later on as technology has changed. You know, accessing a film has been a really changeable experience over my lifetime. So how did it start for you? What were the first kinds of experiences you had of cinema? As I was a child, with
1: my parents and my brother, we went to see, you know, Walt Disney. But then after, Dr. Givago.
2: Oh, Dr. Chivago, yes, 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 of course, yes.
1: So that was the first one. I was doing clarinet and music, so... and dancing and ice skating. So I was more, you know, in all these actions. But then afterwards, it was all the American comedy, British comedy. More foreign film than French films and all of the, the, the movies from the 40s, 50s.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it's the same sort of for me in, in terms of the, ty- the types of films. Of course, children's films were huge in the 60s, and my first experience of a cinema, going to a cinema, was I think I've worked out it must be that I was four years old and we went to see the sound of music. I mean, I lived in rural north wales long way from a town or a city or anything so it was a trip a big trip to go to see this film my mother said i was very cross because i couldn't see i was too short on the seat and i couldn't see over the head in front of me and i took myself out and i sat on the aisle uh on the steps uh which of course you're not allowed to do today health and safety but at that time i was able to do it and i just sat enraptured by that experience and um I think, I still think there's this, is, you know, it doesn't really change this sense of um, being in a cinema with the light and the dark and the enveloped way in which you experience that is, I can, you know, I can remember it exactly the same now as then. So if not, oh, West side
1: story, I had it. Also, because of dancing, musical comedies, and uh, also uh, I don't, o- o- orange mechanic, orange mechanic in the seventies and in the school where I was, we went to all to to see all the movies who really Kubrick was were quite important.
2: We we had um, I mean like you say about the forties and fifties films. That was a big part of my childhood. There was a lot of black and white on television a lot of black and white films on television and the war films particularly the british british sort of almost propagandist war films were a big part of my life because my grandfather had been killed as a fighter pilot coming back over from a bombing raid over holland and so my father who'd only was only six when his father was killed was sort of always reworking that experience in one way or another and there was a film called I think it's called The Way to the Stars, directed by Anthony Asquith. And that was, which is very much about, made in during the war, and it's very much about the purpose of sacrificing your life for something else. Um, And that film, I remember, we we re-ran that as much as we possibly could. There was a certain sort of cathartic way in which it was working in the family, with some kind of combination of pride and sorrow. Um, those two things together. One very big experience for me in the 70s, um, BBC Two had a series of French cinema that they put on on television. I guess this would have been a very unusual thing to do, to put on Truffaut kind of um, films on television. That must probably have been the first time that happened. And it really went... I mean, it, it made me it opened my mind unbelievably this series of i think there must have been about 10 french films that they put out that that was huge so to me that connects with after love a lot because ever since that moment <laughs> i've always i've always held french cinema in very high regard higher regard than any other really so to be part of what at moments is a french film in after love felt like a real honor Do you feel the difference between American cinema, British cinema, French cinema, Japanese cinema, German cinema? Do you have a sense of that kind of national style, if you like? Of course,
1: because the language and the culture, but it's more different. I mean, for me, it's more the different style from the director. The rhythm of the movie, the way how they treated a subject, how the style of the play that they want to. But I can see a lot of connection. It depends on the director more, mm. but of course Japanese uh, Japanese cinema is quite different because they have really other rituals, other things, and it depends on the in which part of the history you take you uh, you're putting your movie. So, mm. and, and, and I'm not thinking like a French or English or American. No. It's more the style and the way how the director and the actors and the story, the writing. Does
2: Does that mean you think of cinema as a, a form that sort of Outside of national culture?
1: Yes, also. I mean, it's related to the country, to the history, to the history of the director, but I think it's a form. Yes, actually, yes. Mm -hmm. And actually, I was interested in this. What makes that you suddenly, you may be bored, and suddenly you're not, because something is taking yourself, and you're sitting there, and you're really in connection with the movie of but then you have your imagination, your head is going in so much thoughts and how also you could, in a way, lose yourself. I became an actress because I wanted to understand what was happening at that point. And also because what is happening, you know, when you're there, you're sitting there. Why, why, why we want to go to cinema? Why we need to to have that? As I was a child, I wanted to understand that.
2: Well, for me, I similarly, I think, I felt that cinema is a place of complete immersion, and it was a a kind of balm for growing pains of life as a child um, and a teenager, and certainly into my twenties. It was a way for me of Losing myself, of of being able to feel there were other people somewhere in the world who might be experiencing something alongside my feelings, a point of connection. Even though you go to the cinema alone, or I used to go a lot by myself, that it was a sense of the opposite of loneliness, the the ability to feel less lonely. Theatre was what how I learnt about acting and I knew I was going to act from the age of like very young and uh, I did loads and loads of theatre and blah blah, blah 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 but then I had this gap of not starting out my career and not being able to kind of become a professional because I just couldn't get an agent I couldn't get a job I couldn't sort of launch failure to launch <laughs> and um so it was 30 I was 35 by the time I started a professional acting career in order to start this career I Rang up a couple of my friends who were working as producers and directors in television at that point, and said, "You know, they as students we'd worked together, so they knew I, you know, was reasonably competent as an actor." And I said, "Listen, you know, I do want this as my life. Have you got a job?" And one of them responded and said, "Yes, come, come do this. I'm doing a television adaptation of Jane Eyre. You know, come and play this small role in it." I had never been on screen. I didn't know anything about filming at all and I had no idea whether as an actor that was going to work or not and then there was this very it was like a distinctive moment the first time they called action and therefore the camera was kind of present on me I just had this immense sense of safety the the opposite I thought I'd be really frightened and exposed but in that moment I didn't feel frightened and exposed I felt safe as if I was sort of in the middle of a pool and there were all these ripples around it that were kind of wishing and willing that moment to to work and and that was a real surprise to me so I I don't think that cinema was something I ever aspired to as an actor but then when I came into working with the camera I realized it was a really beautiful place to be actually a very extraordinary place to be a very privileged place to be and I have really enjoyed it ever since. And I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't get a job in the theater later on anyway. So I hadn't done any theater for a long time because it's its almost like it's become parallel, parallel, uh, you know, sort of industries in, in the UK at certain times, or at least it feels like that to me. So I think cinema has been a place to have pleasure and immersion and emotional growth. Rather than something I'd ever really seen as an industry, and then having partake now partaking in it as an industry, I've learnt over the years it's such a technical world, and the, and the more the more I can kind of master those technical demands, the better the experience is. Really,
1: yes, yes, I feel at home on stage, and when and when I'm on the set, and if not, I, no, I have the pleasure. To play with people, I think I did what I did uh, when I was a child in my in my rooms, so, and now I'm I'm doing this with uh, other people, <laughs> <laughs> with adults. But what I like on the set when on a, a movie set is also all all the crew, all how how you're doing, uh, uh, how you're making a frame, the rhythm of everybody. I like this. I mean, all the all the people working together for one moment. And the concentration, the silence, and hopefully to go to somewhere that we didn't expect.
2: They were a really good, really good crew. I mean, Alexander Dinan, um, as a cinematographer, was really, really focused, obviously literally, uh, but also in terms of the way he wanted those moments to kind of transpire. And I felt in total confidence from the beginning about his work, just completely. We had brilliant um, uh, production as well. Line producer Dylan, the whole way that the, it worked. The ADs were incredible. The The standbys, Manveer, who was always um, managing to sort out my... Um, Head, headpiece, and scarf, and how that was going to flow because that was a sort of story in itself, really, as to the moments of when it was tighter and looser and so on. And Mandria was always the detail with which she did that. Emily, who did makeup and kept everything completely perfect. Sh- Shida, the script supervisor, she was so good at keeping everything alive. And I think I re- and art direction, um, it was all every. Every aspect of that crew, as we worked through, I just thought day by day, "Oh gosh, you're good. Oh, you're good. You never felt let down by a prop not being there or right, or you know, none of that happened." Which, frankly, is, <laughs> is the norm um, that you feel. Oh, I'd, I'd imagined it slightly differently, but never did that happen on this shoot. It was. I mean, that's partly Alain; that he's very detailed and uh, and he probably had had many discussions in prep with all of them but it was, all, it was just a beautifully good working machine.
0: As well as forming valuable connections with their crew on After Love, Joanna and Natalie's performances have been connecting with audiences around the world, and of course with Biffa jury members too. Up next, they explore the nature of acting on film, how that tied to their preparation for After Love, and just why the film is captivating audiences.
2: I don't think as an actor you know what your of which parts of yourself you are going to bring to that experience. Well, at least I don't. So when the day comes, if you feel what's going on and play that if you like. I mean obviously there's a lot of preparation. Obviously there's a lot of thought. Obviously there's a lot of kind of script reading and deciding that this is what you're trying to convey. But in the end, I think something else happens in in that moment and you're playing with another actor. That's the most, to me, the most definitive aspect of what you're playing. So some magic or something other happens than what you intended or what what you felt and you feel something different and new and then, and then play with that, work with that, run with that so that the scene becomes something slightly other from from anything you can really control. So for me, although I had fairly recently been through the experience of grief, having lost members of my family, I don't think I consciously thought that's what I'm bringing, bringing to bear on this experience of playing this role. I, I was very aware of the... Um, of having to learn a lot, you know, having to be sort of prepared to, have to learn uh, the Urdu, the Namaz prayer in Arabic, the um, all the cultural aspects of uh, of taking on the mantle of playing uh, an Islamic convert, those sorts of things. Talking to Aleem a lot about his experience, experiences of, in his family, that all of those things had taken precedence. Um, and then on the day, a whole other story. Sort of started to emerge, but one that I didn't feel really I had ever consciously tried to deploy or anything and I think the the great strength it seems of the film is that it does get to people's hearts there's something emotionally very strong in it. but I would say that a lot of that was in the original script. I don't know Natalie when you read the script firstly, did you feel um it had this emotional impact because I think that's what I did first and foremost.
1: I read the script uh, and the coffee, and suddenly I really realized that I just forgot everything around around me, the sound. I was really involved in the story, in the writing. And at the end, I was almost really removed, which is quite rare when you're reading something, right? Small scenes, how you can understand what is the relation with a mother who the father is not there, and the relation with uh, your young boy, who is adolescent. It was really, actually, very small things, but very, very precise. I thought also the way how he was relating, the loneliness also on Geneviève, and the way how she was tied. Of all, the, hist- of all her, the history, maybe with this man, and what were the consequences with her, with her boy, and how she was putting to change her life. I thought it was really quite interesting. And the way how we had to meet, why this man died so suddenly. And then how he was he's all the time in, in the movie. And I, I thought that was very interesting. And also the relation with the nature. I felt, and I said that to, to Aline when we met together, I felt that all the characters, they were at one point of their life where they had to change something, or they were pushed to change something anyway. And it was like these fields, you know, the cracking of the walls. And we were, all the characters had this kind of relation to a point very, on their life to change something, or to be able to change, or to be forced to change, or to accept also a reality, a truth, and a complexity of a human being, of the identity also. We are not only one we don't have, I think, one identity. We have more than that, and it's more complex.
2: I think it's very fresh. I think it's not a story you've heard before. There's nothing, you know, when I re- when I read it, again, back to the original encounter with that script, there's just, like, nothing I had read before. It, it's a set of coordinates we haven't explored. And so I think it's something about that, that, you know, by taking away a, a lot of... I know how hard it is to write something fresh and interesting and, you know, that, you know, you try, but it doesn't always work. And Aleem has cut through like a knife through butter, really, a lot of cliché around these topics, these feelings and uh, situations, you know, whether it's to do with the White Cliffs of Dover and Calais, whether it's to do with identity, whether it's to do with grief, um, all of those themes he's managed I think to bring very very fresh eyes to that you know whether it's about faith as well as talking about owning a religious practice and what that feels like all of those things are just in a, in a put into a story in a way that I don't think you start off able to predict the, the way it's going and, and and also because you've got what is you know you could term a kind of art Art film in the art house film, in the sense that it's very composed and very beautiful and very structured and has quite a lot of space and a lot of sound that is very atmospheric, all of that. but you've also got this sort of almost thriller element in there, this psychological driver that goes throughout in terms of narrative and story. So I think the audience is brought through into a situation where that they just don't know which way it's going to turn and then ultimately the way it does turn i think he's very emotional because it's about loss and you know almost paradise refound i mean potential paradise refound and i think that's you know we all look for those moments when we can put our past behind us and and work, walk confidently into a hopeful future and i think that the film does it but it doesn't dodge a single bullet on the way i think maybe also I think that's
1: the first time also that uh, you have a movie about a woman who converts and you're really with her intimacy and actually not, and it's not a question about politics or something like this. So that's why the way how he's treated this, it's quite um, interesting and new. And I think also the way how is a man who had a double life Actually, when I read the script and, and when we were uh, working, never, never uh, we ha- I had, and I think the audience maybe the same. Never you think that's you know that we really betrayed, and never we are thinking that that man didn't love the two women. So we don't we are not in the you know narrow moral. So I think that's why maybe the uh, people are touched from that, because we can understand that man that man. And we can understand also these uh, women.
2: Yeah, I think the fact that you see Mary uh, betrayed, you see the full level of betrayal, but you n- you never see her lose her love for her husband. But I think he didn't
1: he did, he did, he did betray uh, Mary too. He was really in two. Yeah. He couldn't do differently. Maybe if the world had accepted that he could be something, I don't know what in his life, but something could put all this together... And also because it's quite, um, you know, maybe people are also removed because we are waiting all the time when Mary will say that she's, de- <laughs> that she's dead. So you're waiting, you're waiting also. And it doesn't happen uh, in a usual way.
0: Released earlier this year, despite all of the recent barriers, After Love was seen by audiences as it was intended on the big cinema screen. Here. Joanna and Natalie discuss what makes the cinema space so unique.
2: There's a funny moment in the cinema isn't there when when you're, you're there alone because you can't really see the people around you very much but then when something happens in the film itself that brings people together whether that's laughter or horror shock or revulsion or whatever it might be that you know when the cinema filmmaker is kind of Utilizing the power that they have to kind of with a group of people in a cinema, so everybody screams at the same time or everybody cries. That's another amazing moment in the cinema when you're sitting there and you realise that people around you are also sniffing and howling. Sometimes those that that moment when you're alone, but then you also sense of other people around you and going through the same feelings in that moment. I think that's really particular to the experience of going into a cinema rather than watching a film on your laptop, which I really feel is a very inadequate way to watch a film myself. For me, it is always that sense of going alone. The best experiences have been the ones I've had alone, going to the cinema in the afternoon alone and just throwing myself into it, you know, and just escaping from reality into something that feels like a warm enveloping frightening sexy other world other life gives you an idea of some version of yourself that you didn't dare dream about until that moment and that feeling walking down the street after having come out of a cinema when you're coming back into yourself when you've almost escaped every one of those trappings that you started your life with uh, and then gradually, as the day goes on, you realize, oh, no, I'm back being me again. <laughs> I'm going to have to, I'm gonna have to um, work a bit harder to to bring about change. Um, that's It's just a very, very particular experience. Nothing else quite does that for you, I don't think.
1: Of course, when the movie is good or if the piece is good,
2: but not all
1: the time, even. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're going there, you have that time out of time, but then you're when you're going out afterwards in the streets, so when something changed inside yourself, for me, that's it. That's, the, that's what the cinema gay gives me. Because when I'm on the television, I don't have that feeling. Physically, that's something happened physically and changed myself.
2: I remember when I was um, in the 80s, when they showed Heimat, the German film, well, the German TV piece that was... Oh, Heimat. The Heimat mm-hmm. They made it into a cinema experience. I remember going to see that, um, like, the 16-hour version of that at the Brixton Ritzy Cinema in London, South London. And that being an absolutely game-changing experience because I felt like I lived... Because it starts off in 19... 19- 1910 or something and then it ends well the, the version that I was watching at that point ended in the 70s I think going through time hit German history of looking over the second world war again from a very different point of view uh, to the one that I'd grown up with with the way to the stars etc having invested that much time in a cinema physically with people where you I think they showed it in four hour blocks and then you came out and you had a a cup of tea and something to eat and then went back in. I mean, that was an extraordinarily immersive experience. And I, I love cinema that deals with time, um, that tells, I mean, like the film Boyhood, the way that filming a film. Yes, well, um, yeah, I didn't see that one. Mm. Over over 12 years, yeah. right, right, something yeah, like yeah. this. It's yeah. really incredible to, to have time being kind of both your experience of giving time to the cinema experience but also the filming of Something taking a long long time I think those that those the way cinema can, and time connect is really extraordinary and i I love a really long film i mean i I love to be able to make it have that dedication to the process of watching a film. I'd happily watch an, another sixteen hour film if anybody would be interested in funding one <laughs> I don't think it's quite as you know quite as easy these days to get those sorts of distribution but it was. That was a really formative experience for me. What was great about Pink Cushion was the BFI took it out on a tour um, with Mia Bayes, um, taking it around to lots of different cinemas. So that we saw one film in different places with different audiences. And the experience of share. what was great about that was sharing um, the conversation after the film because it was about bullying, as a, the story is, is about school bullying um, and then to have the opportunity to have a conversation because they organized pincushion making workshops afterwards so that we could all you know just be doing something with our hands like sewing and whatever and therefore you're you're not got this face-to-face look with each other you you're distracted on a kind of you know 45 degree angle away from the, the confrontation with another person. And people started to talk about their lives and their experiences of bullying and painful um, shared experiences. And so it was something absolutely extraordinarily evidential to me about what cinema can do um, and the real experience of being together in the same room, watching that film can do, is that it can start a conversation. Um, And I found that really powerful. That's a conversation that, you know, when people leave the cinema, they go to the pub with their friend and they have a chat about it. But in in this instance, we were able to kind of eavesdrop on that chat uh, and participate in in what it meant, what the, that film meant to those um, audience members. So that that felt like a very very wonderful experience to me of being in a cinema. It wouldn't have happened any other way. And me,
1: so I was during in the Festival Belfort Festival, and I saw a wonderful movie from a young Chinese uh, director who is like, I think, like 28 years old, which is quite young. And he made a documentary who is called Father. And this young man, his name is Deng Wei. He got the prize in Belfort, the big prize. And he's really in... Uh, you know, uh, do, you, do you know Wang Bing? Oh, yeah. So he's really in that part of the cinema. And that's a beautiful, beautiful documentary about his grandfather and his father. The way how he's, I mean, the distance that he has with this, uh, his real grandfather, the situation, how he's putting that in the situation. It's so beautiful. And it's quite a fiction, too, because he's uh, telling the story about his family, but his family could be also other family in China. So that was a really wonderful movie.
2: I'm looking forward to James Bond in the cinema, too. I mean, I haven't had a chance. Oh, uh, of course. I haven't had a chance to go yet. And I would never want to watch that on a small screen, ever. <laughs> no, of course. Of course. <laughs> yes, it's lovely to see you, Natalie. Yeah, it's lovely uh, to see you, too. We'll see us anyway.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. 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 Thank you. bye Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Biffa Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and make sure you get our next episode straight away. If this is your first time listening, have a look back in our feed for more insightful episodes, including Riz Ahmed in conversation with director Yann DeMange, debut screenwriter award winner Kathy Brady with actor Nora Jane Noon, and so many more. Thanks for listening. The Biffa Podcast is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by me, Jake Cunningham. I'm also one of the producers alongside Ellie Aitken and Harold McShiel. The show is edited by James Payne.